You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Gracious Father, gracious Father, we thank you that you're good, you're full of grace and mercy, I thank you that you're with us tonight and I pray Lord God that you would just pour out your spirit in this place. Father, I just pray that you would just take over my mouth, Lord God, and that you would speak your word in this place. Father, I pray that you would seal my lips to anything that isn't from you, and Lord, that you would just have your way here tonight. I pray for revelation of your word. I pray, Lord God, that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that rests upon this group tonight. And Lord, that you would just bring understanding of your word, that you would bring application of your word. And Lord, that you would shine your light. Expose what needs to be exposed. Reveal what needs to be revealed. And Lord, let it come with power and with great authority and with great boldness, Lord. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we understand that it is the power of God unto salvation. So Lord, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for that deliverance. And I pray, Father God, that we would just see evidence of that in this place tonight. We give you glory and honor and praise for you're so deserving, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is talking uh, to Timothy in this, play, in this passage. I'd like to begin reading in verse 7. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, he says, train yourself to become godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, 
and impurity. I just want to stop there for one moment. Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Uh, Paul, uh, Timothy at this time, commentators believe, was probably 38, 40 years old. So young, that's young. <laughs> it's getting younger every day to me. Um, but, but that is the present imperative, and it's a command. He's commanding him not to do that. He, it's a command to stop an action that's already in progress. That word, look down on you, it means to scorn, to disdain, to treat with contempt. Paul is saying, don't you dare let anyone do that. But live rather in a way that silences them uh, with, with your example and with your actions. So picking up in verse 13, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is instructing Timothy in this passage to set an example Paul knew that if they didn't respect Timothy, they wouldn't respect his message. And the same is true of you and I. Respect, uh, setting a proper example will cause others to respect us and to respect our message. My mama used to tell me uh, that, that you are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read, Rhea. So she said, be careful how you're living and like it or not. Our choices can influence another person's walk, and that's why we're told not to put a stumbling block in somebody else's path. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you doing something that when other people look at it, it might cause them to say, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. Nothing will shatter your credibility as a Christian quicker than a poor example. And Paul is saying to Timothy, it's important that you set that good example. And in order to do that, you have to train yourself to become godly. Uh, it's interesting to me. I have a, a, a good friend that I watch on Facebook. She's really into Beachbody. She's a Beachbody coach. Do you know what that is? And, and I've watched her over the past year. Her whole body has just transformed. She put a picture up the other day, and she had muscles like you wouldn't believe in these little arms that she has. And she's just as skinny as a rail. And and she really has transformed herself. And, but I'm just here to tell you that while I love to watch that on Facebook, it really doesn't help me at all. I can follow her on Facebook all I want, but I can't expect her results in my own life. If I want a body like that, I need to train myself the same way she's training herself. And, and, and I want you to know that we are consumed by exercise and fitness, but we are not consumed with being spiritually fit. Many of you would never dream about going a day without exercise, and yet it's been months since you picked up a Bible. And Paul is saying to Timothy, we must train ourselves to become godly. And just like training for athletics requires hard work and lots of effort, so does training ourselves to become godly. That word train in this passage means strict, rigorous training. It means discipline training. And, and so he says, Timothy, rather than pursuing godless myths, I want you to actively, rigorously pursue godliness keeping your eyes focused on the proper goal. 
Our son Tyler, well, when he was in high school, all of our boys played soccer except Tyler. Tyler was about six foot four and he was as skinny as a, as a rail and, and for him to play soccer it would have snapped him in half. And so he was really frustrated because the other boys were playing soccer and, 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 and he couldn't do that. And, and so Dave said, find the sport that, that, that best suits you, Ty. What do you like to do? And, and you're built like a runner. Have you ever thought about running? And, and so Tyler decided that he would go out for the cross-country team at West High School. And when he first started uh, training for cross-country, let me just tell you, he would go out at night and he would run when nobody could see him and he would run a block and walk a block, run a block and walk a block. And, and, and he would do that night after night after night. And he had to train. He didn't start out running 10 miles. He had to train and work his way up to that, and and it took effort, and it took discipline. And the same is true of you and I. We need to train ourselves to become godly, and that's going to take effort, and it's going to take discipline. We want God to zap us, but it doesn't work that way. When Tyler was training, one of the things that he heard from his coach is that uh, carbonated soda would interfere with his run. And, you know, he was a teenager. He loved soda. And, and so his coach said, it's really important that you take that out. You don't have to, but I'm just going to tell you it will interfere with the way you run your race. And so Tyler made the decision to take carbonated soda out of his diet. And, and it was tasty. He liked it. And all of his friends were doing it. And, but he made the decision that if that was going to interfere with his race he was going to do without soda and so for years he went without soda in his diet and and I'm just wondering what it is in your life that maybe you need to remove oh it might not be a bad thing for for everybody sitting around you maybe your friends are all doing it but you know God has put it on your heart to remove it because it's interfering with the way you're running your race if we want to be godly we need to train ourselves to become godly We have to pursue holiness. The Bible says, make every effort to be holy. You say, Maria, why is it so important that I set an example? Why is it so important that that I be holy? Because you know what? When God comes in and takes up residence in your life, things should change. People should be able to look at you and say, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. There should be evidence that God is in the house. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And there should be evidence of that in your life and in mine. When I married my husband, he, was, uh, he had a home of his own, and, and we decided that we would just move into his home. And, and so when I, when I moved in, I will tell you it looked like a bachelor pad. And, and he had the most ridiculous-looking dining room. He had these striped wallpaper on the bottom and then flowers on the top, and it was just really, really gross. And, and so the first thing that I did is I went in and I ripped all that wallpaper down, and, and I put pink stuff in the bedroom and pink stuff in the bathroom. And, and, and he had this thick hanging over his, his fireplace. I think it was an animal of some type. That thing came down. And let me just tell you what, there was evidence that Rhea was in the house. Things changed when Rhea moved in. And, and the same is true of you and I. When Christ comes in and takes up residency within us, things should change. 
Paul is saying to Timothy, train yourself to become godly. Set an example. That word example there in the original language means pattern. It's like a sewing pattern. And it means to give you something to go by, something to determine, like a pattern determines the shape and the dimension of what I'm trying to make. It's an example. And, and that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Give the people around you a pattern, something to go by. Show them what a Christian really looks like. I looked up the word pattern in Webster's Dictionary, and it means that which is to be copied or imitated. I have a friend that, that teaches a, a Bible study here in town, and she's fond of saying it's better caught than taught. In other words, people see what you're doing, and they want to mimic it. In fact, that word uh, pattern can also mean mimic or, or imitate. If you turn over to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, I just want to show you something in this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, be imitators of God. Uh, how do we imitate God? He says, be holy because I'm holy. Forgive because I've forgiven you. Many of us are sitting here tonight and we can say that we follow God, we're followers of God, but here in Ephesians we're told to imitate God. There's something completely different between following somebody and imitating them. Kendall, can you jump up here real quickly? I want you to follow me first. I want you to stand behind me and just follow me. Now I want you to imitate me. Do you see the difference? There, there's a difference between following somebody and imitating someone. And, and, and we are told to be imitators of Jesus, imitators of God. Many of us are, are comfortable being followers of God, but, but we are not imitating him. Are you imitating him in your behavior? How do we become imitators of God? We lay down our lives for the sake of others. We die to what we want and live a life of love and of sacrifice. We model what has been freely modeled before us. Paul is saying to Timothy, don't let your authority be limited because of your youth, but retain respect by living an example to all in his area of influence. Live an example. Imitate God, Timothy. And then he says there's five ways that he wants him to imitate. Now, I want you to see something in this passage. He says, set an example to the believers. Isn't that interesting? That, that's so fascinating to me because I understand that he would tell Timothy to set an example for the unbelievers. But, but it just is fascinating to me that he says set an example to the believers. So don't you think believers should know better? Don't you think they should already know how to follow and how to imitate? But he says, set an example for the believers. And then he gives them five areas in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I want to look at those five examples tonight. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn back to that Ephesians 5 chapter. Uh, and then also I want you to put your finger in Ephesians and flip back to Matthew 5.21. I want to look at being an example in speech. And it's interesting that five, Matthew 5.21, I want to read it to you in the message. It says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who so much as is angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. 
The simple moral fact is that words kill. Do you know that your words kill? Mamas, can I just tell you? Daddies, can I tell you? Your words kill. It can kill the, the, the spirit of a child like that. We need to be careful what is coming out of our mouths. We can say something to someone that we think is just a careless word, but it can forever taint them. It can poison them inside. We can do that with our words. And, and words are like toothpaste in a toothpaste tube. Once you squeeze it out, you can't get it back in. And we need to watch what's coming out of our mouths and we need to set an example in speech. Turning back to that Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter five, I wanna just catch the tail end of Ephesians chapter four. Let's look at verse 20, 29 through five, verse two. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of, the, of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouths. That word unwholesome in Paul's time was used to describe fish that had sat out on the dock too long in the sun. It was a picture of decay or fruit that had, had set out in the sun and, and was beginning to decay. It's a picture of rottenness coming out of our mouths. It's a picture of gossip and slander and lies and criticism and, and foul language and, and crude words. It's a picture of words that should have no business in the mouth of a child of God. What is coming out of your mouth. When my children were growing up, we had what, what we called the list, and it was all the words that I would not allow my children to say. And, and, and people ask me all the time, can I have a copy of your list? And, and I never had it written down because it needed to change at any given time. I needed to be, say, be able to say, ah, ah, that's on my list. We don't say that word in this house. And, and so it just got to be this thing where my kids would, you know, they'd have friends that came over from the neighborhood. Because when you have seven children, everybody thinks they can send their children over to your house. What's well, a couple more? She'll never notice them. And, and so my house was the hangout for kids. And, and so they would say something and then they'd say, oh, Mrs. Briscoe, is that word on your list? Can I say that in your house? And, and so it just became this thing in my home. And, and it was all the cuss words on that list. It was, but it was also words like crap and stupid and dumb and just words that really were not edifying and 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 capable of building people up. And so it was all the words that I would not allow my children to say. And, and you know, we did not allow our children to date until they turned 16. And, and so the only thing we would let them do is they could go to prom and homecoming. And so in my house, because they couldn't date that early, they lived for homecoming and prom. And so our, our homecoming was in September. And, and all summer long, uh, when they finally got to go to homecoming, it was this big to-do. They could hardly wait till, till September came to go 
to homecoming. And, and our son Tyler was especially excited. And, and he had this girl that he was going to ask out. Her, her name was Becky. And, and all summer he'd say, Mama, would you please pray? Just pray that she'll come with me. And just please, Mama, will you pray for that? And I'd say, look at you, Tyler. She'd be crazy not to come with you. And he'd be like, Mom, please stop it. She's just so beautiful. And will you just pray that she'll come with me to prom? And, and so it was this big deal all summer. He worked so he could get money to not just give her a corsage, but get her roses. And, and he was so excited about uh, taking her to homecoming. And so the day came when he was going to ask her to go. And, and he came home so excited. She, was, she, was, she said yes. And, and so we began to make plans for him to take her to homecoming. And, you know, I, Mama's, he wasn't driving at that time, and, and they needed somebody to drive them, and I just happened to have the biggest van in the neighborhood, and so I, I offered to, to, to take them uh, to homecoming and out for dinner, and, and so Tyler agreed to let me, but the deal was, Mama, do not say anything. You can't open your mouth. And, and so I just wanted to be the one to take them. And so the, the, the night came for us to go to, to homecoming. And we drove over to, to Becky's house. And I could hardly wait to see what she looked like because he had just built her up to be so beautiful and so stunning. And, and so I had to sit in the car. He wouldn't let me get out. And so I sat in the car in the driveway. And I watched him go to her doorbell, door, go to her door and ring the doorbell. And, and soon she came to the door. And he was exactly right. She she was absolutely breathtaking. She was gorgeous. And, and so she got in the car, and all their friends met at her house, and they all loaded into the car. And, and I, mamas, you're going to understand this. I took the, the rearview mirror, and I just adjusted it, you know, just so. I had them right in my sights. And, and so I drove, and I didn't say anything. But they got in the car, and they began to talk. And all of a sudden, Becky opened her mouth, and all, of, all this stuff came out. And it was not pretty. It was, it was, it was so foul that I'm just going to tell you, I wanted to turn around and say, do you have any idea that I am a pastor's wife? And I look at Tyler. I catch him in my rearview mirror, and his eyes are like this. And I know he's thinking, Mama, please don't say that's on your list. But every word she said was on my list. And, and, and I did not say it in the car that night, but I just need to tell you, I was waiting for him at the breakfast table the next morning. And so when he came down to breakfast, I, I sat with him, and I said, Tyler David, we need to talk about some things. And, and I said, you know, you, you were so right about Becky. She was just breathtakingly beautiful. But I said, buddy, she opened her mouth, and her beauty went right out the window. You see, words reveal what's in the heart. And I said, Tyler, you need to look. Beauty is, is fleeting. <laughs> but a woman who loves the Lord. I said, you need, to, you need to make sure they're as beautiful on the inside, honey, as they are on the outside. Do you know that our words reveal what's in our heart? What kind of words are you speaking? The Bible says that, that, that we will give, uh, the judgment will come, and we'll have to give account for every idle word we speak. And that word idle means void of power. It means inoperable or careless words. Are you filling your mouth with inoperable words, words that don't have any power, words that are idle or careless? Are we speaking careless words to one another? Oh, church, we need to watch what's coming out of our mouth. I don't know about you, but the inoperable word really gets to me. I want my mouth full of God's word. Do you understand that his word is powerful? Do you understand that he spoke and things changed? That his word has power. I want my mouth full of his word because when that pours out, it's operable. 
Are you speaking idle words? Void of power. My mom used to say to me, uh, what comes out of your heart, Rhea, or out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. Do you know that your words reveal what's in your heart? Do your words benefit those who listen? Do they build up or do they tear down? The King James says, do they impart grace to your hearers? When you speak to people, do they walk away with a sense of God's love and presence? The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We need to fill ourselves up with so much Jesus that when the world bumps into us, all that spills out is Jesus. The word Christian means little Christ. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do your words identify you as a little Christ? My mom used to say to me, Rhea, I would sooner see a sermon than hear one any day. Our words and our behavior and our actions, what kind of example we're setting, reveal the Christ in us. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve is the word lupeo. It it, it means, uh, it, it was used when the disciples were watching Jesus be crucified on the cross of Calvary. It means to distress, to sadden, to cause a heaviness or sorrow. It means intense emotional pain. Jesus used that word to describe the pain in the hearts of his disciples when, when they watched him being betrayed and arrested and crucified. Think about that. That's what our nasty, unkind words do to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Think about that the next time you want to have a meltdown or go off on somebody. Our words grieve the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is listening to every word we say. The next area that Paul says to Timothy to set an example is in life. That's in in our conduct, in our behavior. Uh, What we do speaks as loudly as our words. One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 1.27. It says, whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Whatever happens, the word says, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy. That means in the grocery store line, when when somebody gets in front of you and and she's got 25 million coupons and she's writing a check and she's taking your time and having a conversation with the cashier while you hold one item, whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means somebody pulls out in front of you on the highway, whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be the only Bible that some people ever read. We need to be careful how we're living. Leslie and I were in Ashland, Wisconsin this weekend, way, 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 way up north, and we went into Culver's uh, to, get, to get lunch, and this little clerk behind the counter said to me, are you Rhea Briscoe? And I thought, oh, thank goodness I wasn't rude. Do you understand that people are watching you? They're watching you. You might be the only Bible some people read. Your conduct reveals so much about you. Uh, your, your walk must match your talk. If I stood up here and, and I said to you I was standing on two feet, what are you going to believe? You're going to believe what you see, are you not? I can tell you that I'm standing on two feet, all that I want, but you're going to believe what you see. And we can preach Jesus all we want. We can testify about Jesus all we want, but people are going to look at how we're living And church, we need to set an example in our behavior. 
It makes me so sad to think we preach about Jesus, we share about Jesus, and then our behavior says something different. There's a scripture that says, wives, win over your husband by the quiet witness of your behavior, by your quiet witness, the way you live. I hear women all the time say, Rhea, pray that my husband will come to church with me. And then they go home and and rag on their husband. Is there any wonder he doesn't want to go to church with them? A man is won over by the quiet witness of his wife. Does your behavior reveal what's inside of you? Can I tell you that nobody makes you behave the way you do? They simply reveal what's deep inside of you. Your children can't make you be grouchy. You choose to be grouchy. It reveals what's inside of you. Your husband can't push every button you have and make you behave a certain way. You choose that behavior, and it reveals what's inside of you. Our behavior should be consistent with the word of God. He says, set an example in love. And, and I, 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 I heard a story a number of years ago about this man and wife that went into McDonald's and, and they ordered a cheeseburger and a small order of fries and a soda between the two of them. And, and, and they took it back to their table and the little man cut the little cheeseburger in half and he gave half to his wife and half to himself. And then he took out a little pile of French fries and he gave half to his wife and half to himself and put the straw in the soda, and, and then he began to eat the cheeseburger and the fries. And this man was watching all of this take place, and, and he just couldn't believe that they, they didn't each get a cheeseburger and fries. And, and then it really bothered him that he's watching this man eat and the wife just sit there. And so he went up to them and he said, you know, could, could I buy you another cheeseburger and, and fries? And I'd really like to do that for you. And, and the little lady patted his hand and, and he said, oh, honey, uh, we share everything. And he's like, all right. And, and then he went back and he sat down and he uh, proceeded to watch this little old man just finish the cheeseburger and fries. And this little old lady was just sitting there waiting. And, and eventually he just got frustrated and he went up and he said to her, what are you waiting for? I know that you share everything, but what are you waiting for? And she said, the teeth. <laughs> Some of us... That is our idea of love. But that's not the kind of love, the true love, that Paul is talking about here. (laughs) There are four types of love. There's phileo, which is a brotherly love. There's storge, which is a familiar love. It's a brother for a brother, a father to a daughter. It's the love of a family. There's eros, it's where we get our word erotic. It's a sexual love. And then there's agape, and that's the word for love that Paul is talking about here. Agape love is an unconditional, self-sacrificing, looking for nothing in return kind of love. I wonder if we're loving that way. It's God's love in us. Are we loving that way? Uh, there's a disciple that came to to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what is the the best commandment? What what is the the top commandment? And and Jesus says to him, "Eh, let's actually just turn to that passage. It's Mark 12, 28. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law was actually a teacher of the law, not a disciple. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
Noticing Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. It's interesting, he, the word Jesus uses there is the most important, is the word protos. It's where we get our, prior, our word priority. And Jesus is saying, here is the priority when it comes to the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your, uh, all your being. And the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's saying is if you get the priority right, if you get loving Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, if that's your priority, then these relationships are going to fall into place. This is going to take care of, them, of itself. If you just have the priority right, and that's loving Jesus with all your heart and with all your mind and with, all, with everything you have. Love. This is how they'll know we're Christians, by our love, the word says. Do you, do you love like that? Do, do, you, do you allow God to love you, people through you? You say, well, Rhea, you don't know the people that are around me and how difficult they are to love. No, but I do know about God's love. God's love never fails. And you have that love inside of you through the Holy Spirit. That means you can love the unlovable. Don't you just love that? You can love the unlovable. Dave and I were out walking a number of years ago and he was trying to teach me about different cars and how to recognize them because I really didn't care what kind of car they were as long as it worked. And, and so he was trying to teach me names of cars because he likes cars and I was trying to be really interested. And, and then we happened to see this one specific kind of car and I said, what is that? And he said, well, that's a hybrid. And I'm sure you know what a hybrid is. I didn't at the time. And, but, but a hybrid car is one that runs on a battery. And when the battery dies, the gasoline kicks in and it recharges the battery. Are you with me? Saves a lot of money. And, and, and so when he was telling me about this car, I couldn't help but think about uh, God's love in us. And it works a lot like that. You see, we can try to love somebody with our own love, but it's going to run out. It will come to an end. But, but then God's love will kick in. That's why you can love somebody who's hard to love. That's why you can love the unlovable. That's how you can always respond in love no matter how people treat you. You can let God's love kick in, agape love. Paul says to Timothy, set an example in love. The next area, he says to set an example is in faith. Some people think it's faithfulness. Some people think it's faith, but it really doesn't matter because if you have faith, it will lead to faithfulness in your life. I want to read to you from the Amplified Bible, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. That's a long definition it's of faith, but what I want you to see there is that they call faith the title deed. I, I really like that. You see, title deed is a legal agreement between two parties. It's evidence of ownership. It's entitlement. And, and, and so he's saying faith is the title deed that Jesus Christ puts in our hand and says, you can count on this. It's yours. You have possession of this thing. 
It's my guarantee that you have possession of it. You have the title deed. You have faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. If, 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 if tonight you went home to your house, let's say you have a title deed. I have a title deed to my house. Let's just use it. Uh, let's just use me as the example. If I went home tonight and I found somebody else living in my home, if a stranger while we were at Bible study moved into my home and I, I went home and found him there, and, and when I went in, he said, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. This is my house. And, and, and you need to get your things and immediately vacate. Would I give up and surrender? No way. I, I, would I just let this person have what belongs to me? Absolutely not. I would call the authorities. And, and I would go up in our little lockbox and I would get our title deed. And I, I would kick him out of the house. I would say, I would appeal to the authorities and say, this is my title deed. This is the proof that this is my house. And that's how faith works. Satan comes and says, sickness has moved in and has taken over and it's not going anywhere. And we need to say, no, I've got a title deed. I have a title deed that by, my, by his stripes I'm healed. I have a title deed that says he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Satan says addiction has taken up residency and it's not budging or hopelessness and despair have pulled in their moving truck into your life and it's settling in for good. We need to say no and we need to kick him out of our house and say I have a title deed that promises, that says no weapon that's been formed against me is going to prosper, that says that I have peace that passes all understanding and it's guarding my heart and my mind. I have a title deed that says I don't have a spirit of fear, I've got a sound mind. I have a title deed that says my God is leading captivity captive and it's for freedom that I've been set free. We need to start realizing what is ours and have faith. Stand on that promise. Paul says, Timothy, set an example in faith. You see, uh, we, we really... Um, believe in God. We say we believe in his word, but do you have faith in it? Do you trust him? This week I was studying about trust, and this is so off my notes, but let me just tell you, it's so fascinating to me. You see, I'm realizing, do I really trust you, Lord? Do I absolutely, no matter what I see in the natural, trust you above all else? You see, that's what faith is. It's confident assurance. It is absolutely uh, uh, unconquerable allegiance to God. It's saying, I trust you even when I can't see you. And this week I was studying about trust and, and I found out in the Old Testament what, when the word trust is used or truth, let's use the, the word truth is used. Do I believe that God's word is truth? Do I trust that God is truth, that what he says is true? And so I began to look up the words truth, the word truth. And in the Old Testament, when you look up the word truth in Hebrew, the, the word is, 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 is in Hebrew, the way it's spelled, if you remove the first letter of that word, what's left over spells death. The first letter means, is, is a picture of the oneness of God, the completion of God, that he is everything. 
And so it's, it was fascinating to me that if you take God out of truth, if, it, it, let's just say you have your own truth and you say to me, Rhea, your truth is for you and I, my truth is for me. I'm not pushing my truth on you. Don't push your truth on me. But, but you see, if you take God out of truth, we see it in the Hebrew word, all that's left is death. Do you see it? It's so fascinating to me that that is how that word works. And that's what happens if we approach life with our truth, with our level of truth, with, with the, our logical truth, or with the truth that the world says is truth. All we'll have is death if we take God out of that. Can I just tell you, his truth is trustworthy. You can put your faith in it. He will never fail you. Why do we accuse a God who cannot lie as being a liar? You see, when we don't trust his truth, when we don't trust his word, when we don't put our faith in his word, instead we put our faith in what we see, what we're really doing is accusing God of being a liar. And that should not be. Paul says, Timothy, it's vital that you put, you, you set an example in faith. The other area that he says to set an example in is purity. And, and I just want to spend a little time on this one because this is my soapbox. And I will tell you that impurity almost always begins in the mind. Where the mind goes, the man will always follow. We've got to be careful what we're putting in front of our eyes, what we're reading, what we're meditating on. I think it was David, it might have been Job, who says, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not sin against God. I, I'm covering my eyes. I'm making a covenant that these eyes are not going to look upon anything that will cause sin in my heart. What are you looking at? Do you understand the statistics that say children 12 years old are already being exposed to pornography on the internet? What are you putting in front of your eyes? What are you exposing your children to? We need to be careful. Where the mind goes, the man will follow. The eyes are an eye gate. Whatever we're looking at will taint this body. What are you setting before your eyes? Men, where are your eyes turning? Where are your eyes going? Women, what are you, what are you looking at? What are you reading? Oh, you say, well, Rhea, I, I just read those romance novels. I just need to tell you that, that, that those romance novels, what we do is we read those and we start to say, oh, my husband doesn't treat me like that. And I want a life like that. That's love. I, I want that kind of love life. And can I tell you that romance novels are called fiction for a reason? We need to watch what we're looking at. Impurity almost always begins in the mind. What, what we end up looking at will eventually reap a behavior in us. How are you dressing, ladies? What are you wearing? I have a good friend, well, Beverly, who comes here to teach. She used to say to me that, that she would walk into a room and, and it would almost be a game to see how many eyes she could get on her, how many men's eyes she could get on her. And she called it feeding the beast inside of her, the beast that would just never die. She could never believe that she was pretty enough, that she was good enough. She had to get that affirmation from men coming up with their eyes on her. Men, do you understand what you do to a woman when you look at her like that? You say, well, I'm just catching a glimpse. A woman will know when a man's eyes are on her. I don't care how careful you are. Are we objectifying women? Are we objectifying men? You see, when you objectify a woman, when you objectify a man, it, you make them an object. 
You, you put the value in, in what you're looking at, in the way their body looks, in the way they appear, and what that means, especially for a woman who, who really uh, needs that, that kind of affirmation. What that means is if you objectify me when I'm young, and I get older, and I get heavier, and I get older, and gray, and more wrinkled, and, and now I'm not objectified anymore, I, my value as an object diminishes, therefore my worth must diminish. Women, don't ever let yourself be objectified. Your value is not in the way you look. It is not in the size you wear. It is not in, in how your hair looks or how flirtatious you are. Can I just tell you what your value is in the fact that you are a child of the king? That's where your value comes from. That is where your value comes from. We've got to watch how we're behaving, how we're acting. Women, how are you dressing? Are you dressing in a way to try to get a man's eyes on you? You don't need a man to affirm you. You don't need a man to validate you. How are we dressing? I used to say to my girls, they would spend so much time looking in the mirror, fixing their hair, and they're were, they were beautiful young ladies, but I would say to them, focus on the beauty that's on the inside, cultivate the beauty on the inside, because let me just tell you what, beauty is fleeting. I look in the mirror and I think, what happened? I don't feel that old. It's fleeting. We've got to cultivate beauty on the inside. What are you looking at? When our, when our daughters turned 16 and our sons turned 16, we, we took them out for a meal and we gave them, Dave gave them a purity ring. And we spent a lot of money on these rings because we wanted them to know that, that, that their purity was important. And, and so we wanted it to be something that they would treasure and want to wear. And, and, and Dave said to the girls when he gave, gave this ring to them, he said, I want you to wear that. And anytime somebody wants to do something to you or you want to participate in something that you know would not please daddy, I want you to look at that ring and think my daddy would not be pleased right now. He said to the boys, when you, when you put that ring on your finger and you want to reach for something you shouldn't be reaching for, I want you to look on that finger and say daddy would not be pleased right now. Our daughter Brooke just got married a couple weeks ago and, and, and he, the her, her husband, Steve, when he asked her to marry him, took her purity ring off and put the, the wedding, or her diamond on. And he, he wanted her to have that purity ring melted down for his wedding band because it meant so much to him that she would have saved that for him. Women, how are we behaving? Are we setting an example in our purity, in the way we act? The word of God says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run from it, go the other direction. Are you fleeing? 1 Thessalonians 4 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Are you living a life of purity? So interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day that struggles uh, with, with this area. And, and I said to this person, I said, do you understand that the Holy Spirit is there? The Holy Spirit, God sees everything you're doing. This is not done in secret. God sees it. Do you understand? 
Are you living a life of purity? Are you living a life of purity? Start today. Start today. Paul says to Timothy, set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Is the way you're living different than the unbeliever down the street? Are you living in a way that brings glory to God? Can people look at you and how you're living, how you're walking through life, and can they see the Christ in you? Oh, it's not to make you feel condemned or feel guilty. It's to challenge you to live a little differently, to challenge you to say, God, clean me up. I told you uh, that my mouth, God has gifted me with a mouth, and, but, the, but the enemy likes to use it as well. And, and so for me, my speech is always what he's trying to refine. It's always what I have to die to. It's always what he's saying, Rhea, we need to work on that. It's not about perfection. The Bible says pursue holiness. Chase after it. I, you don't have to clean up if you don't want to, but I am going to pursue holiness. I want everything he has for me. And the Holy Spirit is living within me, empowering me and equipping me to pursue it, to live it. That means I don't have to say things I wish I hadn't said, that the Holy Spirit will be a guard across my lips. I don't have to look at things just because I have a temptation. No temptation has seized me, but is common to man, and God will always give me a way out. He'll always give me a way of escape. I don't have to give in to impurity. I don't have to look at things I, I wish I hadn't looked at that I get shame and have to walk in guilt about later. I don't have to behave in a way that, that discredits the Christ in me. I don't have to dress in a way that gives way much more than it should give away. that I'm already approved and accepted in the beloved. That I don't have to walk and behave a certain way because Susie's sitting next to me does and she says it's acceptable and fun, but I know it's contrary to the word of God. I have a choice. He set before me life and death. I have a choice to choose life. I don't have to give in to that behavior because it looks fun. I can say, nope, I'm gonna choose to let the Holy Spirit live inside of me and empower me to walk out a walk that's godly. I can love somebody who's not lovable. I can go to work with somebody who is impossible to work with and makes me hate my job, and I can choose to love them. And you see, this is the way God's word works. It is when you choose to give in to, to what he's calling you to do. When you choose to obey, the power will come to do it. I love that there's a man, there's a story about a man who's crippled and Jesus comes to him by the pool of Bethesda and he can't walk and, and Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? And then he says, pick up your mat and walk and, and you just want to say, Jesus, don't you think if he could have walked, he would have by now? Do you think he likes this 38 years laying by this pool crippled? But it's interesting to me that the man obeys, and when he obeys, the Bible says his ankles became strong, his legs became strong, and he got up and walked. It wasn't until he acted in obedience that the power to do it was there. And that's how setting an example is. When we choose to line up in obedience with God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit will help us walk it out. Faith. 
set an example in faith. We have more faith. When Karis came in uh, tonight, she sat down in this chair. I don't think she lifted it up and looked and made sure the bolts were tightened. She, she didn't do any of that. She had faith in that chair that it would hold her. Dave and I love to take our cars to Casey O'Gorman to fix. He's just a great guy and has a great little uh, body shop. And, and when we go to Casey O'Gorman, we say, Casey, here's my keys. We need, to, we need some brakes. Will you put brakes in our car? And, and he'll say, yes, come back and pick it up in how many hours? We come back and pick it up. I don't get under the car and say, Casey O'Gorman, are you sure these brakes are going to work? I'm just not sure I can have faith in these brakes. No, I jump right in my car. I pay Casey O'Gorman and I pull away. I have more faith in Casey O'Gorman than I have in the Word of God. Because I go to the Word of God and I, I inspect that thing. I make sure it's going to hold me. Are you sure, God, this is going to work? I don't know if I can believe you. I don't know if I can believe a God who cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. The Bible says that his Word is forever settled in heaven. And yet I take somebody else's Word over God's Word. A doctor's report comes back and says, Rhea, it's cancer. And I'm like, oh, it's cancer. Instead of saying, no, excuse me. By his stripes, I'm healed. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. He is the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yesterday, he did miraculous things. And today, he's going to do it as well. I have faith. And we have a choice. How will we live Will we live like the unbeliever down the street or will we live an example before the world saying this is what God can do? Do you know that the Bible says that we are living epistles? We're God's resume. Do you understand that a resume tells people what, what you can do? We are God's resume. When people look at us, they should see an example of what God can do. Wow, look how different he is. Look how different she is. That must be their God. That's how we should be living, guys. You say, Rhea, where's grace? Oh, grace is what's enabled me to do it. The grace of God living inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit. He graces me to be able to obey. The Bible says that, that, that we've been given grace for obedience. We love grace. We're all about grace message. But we forget that that grace has been given to us for obedience. So we can be an example and live differently. Set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Did you mess up? Say something you wish you hadn't said. There's no condemnation. Just get up and do it right. Just do it different tomorrow. Mess up and give your purity away. Behold, I make all things new. Start today. Mess up and you didn't have faith like you needed to have. Do it again. Lord, help my unbelief. There's a father who came to Jesus and his son was sick. And, and, and he says, if you can do anything, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I can? <laughs> I love it. Would you not have loved to have been there? Excuse me. If I can do anything? He said, Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So you mess up and you aren't a good example in faith. Just say, Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I've been praying lately. I said, Lord, I want mountain-moving faith. I don't just want 
wimpy faith. I don't want faith that just says, oh, I think God can do this. I want mountain-moving faith. I want faith that looks at a mountain, looks at an obstacle, looks at trouble, looks at trials, looks at tribulation, looks at the garbage of this life, and says, be ye removed. Out of my way. The Bible says that you can command that mountain, you can say to that mountain, be ye removed, and it has to obey you. I want that kind of faith. I want the kind of faith that, that looks, at some, looks cancer in the eye and says, be ye removed. I want the kind of faith that looks financial difficulties in the eye and says, be ye removed. I'm telling you, I'm asking God right now, Dave, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm asking God to pay off my mortgage. And do you know what? I actually believe he will. Leslie, do I believe it? I say it all the time. Thank you, Lord, that you're paying off my mortgage. I have no idea how he's going to do it. But I just, I was on the treadmill one day and I heard, and you can say you heard God. I heard God. Ask me to pay off your mortgage, Rhea. All right, I will. Never entered my mind because he's paying off my mortgage. I meet my mortgage payment every month. But you want me to ask you to pay it off? I will. I'll let you know when he does because I'm going to be an example in faith. I'm going to show you that my God is able. He is able. I want faith that moves mountains because here's what faith is here's what setting an example in faith is god i believe you're who you say you are and i believe you can do what you say you can do that this bible's not just something that i'm reading for entertainment it's not something i read to look super spiritual this is a bible that i read to get the promises of the god deep down inside of my being and know that i have a title deed i've got a right a legal right to those things and i'm going to stand on that word and i'm going to believe and i'm not going to be moved by it that's an example. That's what people will look at and say, whoa, her God is real. His God is powerful. Are we setting an example in faith? In, in life, conduct, behavior. Are you, are you being around people that, that you're so different than that they have to question What's different about you and where is that power coming from? How can you say no to those things? Why don't you talk like we talk? Why don't you act like we act? Why don't you, why do you, why don't you go to the bars with us and get slammed on Friday night? There must be something different about you. Yeah, I'm setting an example in my behavior. I'm going to look different. Not to shame that person, but to show them what my God can do. I'm his resume. I'm his living epistle. See, here's what happens. We go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We show up at prayer meeting. We can pray a little prayer. We can say, hallelujah, bless your sister. God is good. <laughs> but is it making any difference in our life, guys? Is it really? See, I don't have time for it anymore. Maybe I'm just getting that old. I don't know. But I really don't have time for games anymore. I don't have time to give a, an appearance of godliness but deny the power therein. We were in a church this weekend. I just, it was a great time. We, we, we preached up a storm. It was a fun time. But, but I was talking to the pastor's wife afterwards, and she said to me, Rhea, there's so many facades. There's so many people that are afraid to admit they have a need. They're wearing masks, super spiritual uh, look on the outside, but on the inside they're full of pain and heartache and, try and trouble. But they can't admit it because somebody might not think they're spiritual. What is up with that? I just don't have time for it, guys. 
If I can't be the real deal, I don't want to be it at all. Can I tell you, God knows what's in a man. You're not fooling him with your spiritual mask. You're not fooling him with the hallelujah, praise the Lord, I went to church today, check that off my list. <laughs> if you want to play that game, play. I just can't anymore. I can't. Because if God isn't all he says he is, if he can't transform my life, and, and that when I imitate him, if my life is not going to look better and be better, I don't, why follow? But here's what I know. Not just following, but imitating. Makes a difference, guys. It'll rock the world for him. It'll rock the world. Somebody said to me this weekend, Rhea, you walked into the room and you came up the aisle and there was such authority that came in the door. She said, how do you do that? <laughs> I just follow and imitate. And the power to be all that he calls us to be is there. Is there. Will you live differently? Can I challenge you this week? Just in one of those areas. Lord, put a lock over my lips. Don't let me say anything that, that isn't from you. Don't let me react or respond with idle, careless words. Oh, just memorize that scripture about careless, idle words. That we're going to be judged for every idle word we speak. Hmm. Are, are, are the words we're saying, do they line up with God's word? Do they say what he says? Remember that scripture last week, test every spirit? Examine it, scrutinize it. If it doesn't confess the same thing that Jesus would say, get rid of it. Are your words saying the same thing Jesus would say? Purity. What are you letting in your eye gate, your ear gate, your mind gate? That just taints, makes you impure. Is it really worth that? The 30-second thrill or the temporary fix, is it really worth that? I don't know. I, I guess I lived that kind of life for so long. I'm not, I, I'm not judging y'all. I'm telling you, I lived that impure life for a long time. It was not worth the shame and the condemnation and the guilt that came with it. It wasn't worth the filth. I just set an example in purity. Paul ends that passage by saying, um, watch your life and your progress. Let's look at that. I just want to make sure I get it right because it's so powerful. Turning back to 1 Timothy 4 again.
He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both your hearers and yourself. He, he says, uh, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. I like that. Progress, not perfection. Not that everybody will see your perfection, but everybody will see your progress. Do you look a little bit different this month than you did last month? Do you, do you look different this year than you did last year? Have you made progress in your walk with Christ? Have you made progress in setting the example? That's all that's always concerned about. He said, just let them see your progress. Let them see a change in your life. He says, watch your doctrine and your life closely. Make sure what your preaching lines up with your life. Oh, I hate it. Can I just tell you how much I hate hearing somebody preach something and live something different? It's hypocrisy, which means play acting. It means you're wearing a mask. Do you understand he's coming soon? I, I, I don't, my mama, when I was a little girl, would say that all the time. She'd say, Lord's coming soon, Rhea. And I'd be like, Mom, you've been saying that forever. But I'm telling you, the Lord is coming soon. He, he can't, this world, the, the pace at which it's going downhill fast, he, he, he won't delay. I, I don't believe it. But even if you don't see him coming back, and I don't see him coming back, can I tell you how old I am? <laughs> and it feels like yesterday that I was Kayla's age. I mean, yesterday, Kayla, yesterday, I feel like I was going to the prom. And that was a long time ago. But it was a vapor. It went like this. So even if I don't see God come back, I'm going to see him. <laughs> I'm going to see him. I'm going to stand before him. Guys, I want this to get deep within your spirit because here's, here's what I've seen. I'm seeing that the church is sleeping. I'm seeing that we as Christians are growing mediocre and complacent. I'm seeing that we don't burn for him anymore. We don't have a passion for him and a hunger for the things of God anymore. We've been so sucked into the world. We're bowing down to the gods of this world. We care more about what we're wearing and going out on Friday night than we do about the word of God. And I'm telling you, we're going to stand before him and we're going to give account. We are going to give account. And I am not messing around. I'm not. I'm not messing around anymore. I am going to live a transformed life because he says he can do that. I'm not going to get sucked into the world. I'm going to suck the world into my life. See the difference? We are here as ambassadors. Uh, ambassadors, that means we're representing another country. Can I tell you, we're representing, the, we're representing heaven here on earth, and people should see the difference. When Dave came over from England, when he was a little boy and came over from England, people knew he was different. Can I tell you, he called the trunk, what is it, the, the boodle, Dave, or something? The what? The boot. The trunk of the car. The bathroom, to this day, they still call the bathroom the loo. My, my mother-in-law come over and she'll say, can I go to the loo? That's the bathroom. They don't talk like we talk. He had an accent. People made fun of his little accent. I love his little accent. But he didn't act like the world, like the United States did. He didn't act like his buddies at school did. He talked different. He looked different. 
He had different laws here in the United States than he had in England. People knew he was different. And we are ambassadors of heaven. We represent him here. And people should know we're different. You say, well, you're really different. Rock on with your bad self. I like being different. I can sleep at night in peace. That was not always the case for me. I still have regrets, but not nearly as many. That was not always the case for me. When my boys were growing up, they had this thing, represent. Do you hear that? You know what they represent. Can I just tell you? Represent this week. Let them see the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't conform to their world. Be transformed and make them want to conform to yours. You might be the only Bible that some people ever read. Set an example. Set an example. Let me pray for you. Whew, Father God, that was a hard night. And I thank you that that word was so important that the enemy tried to interfere with it. That's how vital that word was going forth. And so, Father, I pray that anything that I said that wasn't from you would fall to the ground and die and be swept away, that only your word would remain. But, Lord, I pray that that word would penetrate. Lord, what I was not able to clearly expound on, I pray that your spirit would bring clarity, would bring understanding, would bring insight and wisdom to it. I pray, Lord, that this would not have just been a message of fine-sounding words. I pray, Father, that it would be a word that we can make application to in our life. A word that'll challenge us to change. A word that'll challenge us to be more like you. Father, I thank you that all you say is imitate me. That's, that's all. It's like a, a baby imitating a mother. And, 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 and you just grow up imitating and then you become like them. And My daughter Brooke called me tonight and she said, Mom, I did this, 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 and this. And I said, well, did you remember to do this? And she said, yes, Mom, it's already done because I learned from my mama. And Lord, I thank you that you leave us an example to learn from you. And we're going to become more and more like you as we imitate you. And so, Father, for those who struggle in speech, I pray that this week, you give them an extra measure of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to overcome that. That you would be quick, Lord, to, to just uh, convict even before a word comes out of their mouth. I pray, Lord God, that you make them aware that they can set an example with their speech. Lord, for those who struggle in behavior and conduct, I, I pray, Lord God, that you lead, guide, and direct. And, and Lord, that you would just help them to make their walk match their talk. And Lord, for those who struggle in faith, I pray, Lord God, that you would instill in us a mountain-moving faith. Lord, you say all that it needs is, is the size of a mustard seed. 
Help our unbelief, Lord. And Lord, those who struggle in love, Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, right now, that you would just grant them such a revelation of your love for them that they couldn't help themselves but to let that overspill into the lives of others. And lastly, Lord, for those who struggle in purity. Lord, I walked in those shoes for too long. I pray right now, Lord, that you would lift off condemnation and shame because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Today's a new day, a fresh start with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just fill them afresh and anew with such a sense of your presence, washing over them, purifying, making all things new. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us alone, that no temptation we could ever face is without you giving us a way of escape. Help us to take the way of escape this week. Now, Father, I pray for these living epistles. I pray that they will go out in power this week and apprehend a world for you. And when necessary, use words. But I pray that they'd preach Christ always, just in their behavior. Would you bless them, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.